Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Hey there, and welcome to today's program. Uh, Always the highlight of the month is when we do our educators panel, and today is the day. However, due to a communication problem, I'm not sure that we are going to have Carol Davison with us today, but I believe that we have Nina and Tom And so we will get going on that shortly. Now, just because this is an educator's panel day doesn't mean you shouldn't call in. If you are inclined to call in to talk to uh, any or all of our educator panel members, the number is 646-727-2691. And here's the cool part. Both uh, Tom and Nina have implemented collaborative problem solving in their buildings in ways that are really quite astonishing. Of course, they haven't done it all by themselves, but they have been um, major forces on implementation of the model in their buildings. And so they are incredible resources for people who are struggling with it themselves, um, for people who are wondering about how to get the ball rolling, for people who are... um, getting the ball rolling, but running into roadblocks. Um, Some great resources in Tom and Nina, and so don't hesitate to call in if you have a question for them, 646-727-2691. And now let me bring uh, Tom Ambrose on to the program. There we go. Tom, are you with us? Are you there? Tom? Well, let me bring Nina. Do we have you, or is this Tom? Oh, I'm here. Hi, Nina. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I feel like I uh, haven't had any contact with you in like three days. Yeah, I haven't seen you in so long. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, are you with us, too? I I think that you called in. I'm, I'm here. I've got a bad cold. Can you hear me? Oh, there is a cold going around. It has made uh-huh. its way into the Green family as well. And um, I'm sorry that you have that cold. I'll be okay, but if I start coughing, I'll hit the mute button. Uh, <laughs> that, would be a, that would be an outstanding strategy. <laughs> so we appreciate that. Um, how are you, besides the cold, Tom, how are you doing? Oh, great. Things are going very well in my building. Tell us about that a little bit, and then Nina will turn to you. Let's start with an update on collaborative problem solving in your respective buildings. One of the things 
um, it turns out that the folks at any town high school are going to not be able to do quite as many sessions as we thought they were going to be able to do. So I'm going to be interviewing on the air people who are in the schools that uh, collaborative problem solving is being implemented in in this project that we have going on in Maine. There's 14 of them. Um, I'm going to be using the open programs as times to be getting updates from people on how collaborative problem solving is going in their building. But we have two uh, educators panel members who are doing it in their buildings, as I said at the beginning of the program. So, Tom, want to give us an update? What What's going well? Uh, well, we've got a lot of people um, trained in the model, uh, and they're starting to break through that 10 or 15 conversation level, you know, where they start to get more comfortable with it, and they're starting to get results. And the really interesting thing is that I, I had a parent that I talked to this morning who I loaned the book to last spring, and she just came up to me and said, i got to tell you, this works. It, hmm. it works. It works. <laughs> Sorry. It works incredibly well. And uh, um, so we're when, you know, we had a number of staff members attend a one-day training with you, Ross, at the beginning of October, but what I think you don't, didn't know is that I also had five or six parents there. And those parents are really excited. So we're starting to have we're starting to see a certain level of um, synergy or, or forward motion begin with the community as well. You want to say more about that? Um, what, what do you mean by synergy? Between parents and teachers? That would be incredible. Uh, yeah, there is. There's starting to be conversations, uh, conversations between um, parents and teachers, parents and children, and uh, um, and it's just kind of well, what I did is I took the article that, that both Nina and I were mentioned in, and I emailed that to my entire school community, hmm. all the parents, all the teachers, and they are, they are, many, many parents read the article and were really excited. And, and what happened is the article was a really good, excuse me, a really good basic structure for people to get a, a fundamental understanding of the model. So that has prompted conversations about what's going on at school and how can this help at home. So let me ask a, a, a question that many people worry about. When you let parents know, I, I generally find that parents of challenging students uh, welcome collaborative problem solving like, um, you know, it's like bees to honey. But yeah. uh, parents of not so challenging kids is the ones that school folks often worry about because they're worried that um that will uh go over badly. We, you know, we're not we're not punishing them, we're not suspending, we're not giving detentions. Do, do either of you have experience with parents who upon of, of not so challenging kids who well, I, upon yeah. learning about collaborative problem solving objected to the implementation of the model? No, I I haven't had a problem with anyone objecting with the implementation of the model. Um, what I have had is parents who are skeptical about getting involved because of the title of the book being for behaviorally challenging students. Yeah. And so I've had to explain to those parents that this model works for everyone, adults, kids, adult to adult. It, it really works to solve problems together as human beings. And, and, um, and then once they... Sorry, once they got past the uh um the uh the 
title, they kind of got into the model and realized that it was really good for solving things as complicated as students who lash out at others and adults to solving bath time at the Ambrose household. Right. Yeah, I agree. I also think parents are comforted if they are. Like we've had a few parents that might have been confused of what we're doing, and then when you give it a name and a framework, it gives comfort that we are working on on these challenging uh, behaviors with children. So it's not that we're not doing something or ignoring it. And if, and if it's something that involves another student, uh, parents have a lot of empathy and, and can hear that what we are doing is a philosophy and that it's working. So I think they like that there's some, you know, there's a model that we're following. Well, they, I find that what they mostly want to know is that you're doing something. Right, right. And for the first time, it feels like we are doing something instead of kind of just doing what what we think we should be doing or following somebody else's ideas. It, it finally feels like we're following something that works and can explain it to parents. Tom, any more to say about how things are going in your building? Yeah, I, I think that um, what I found happening was that uh, people – are starting to work out ways to get their 15 minutes a day, and that's complicated, and I think it's based on each building. But what I found is that when I got, last week I got 11 or 12 people in a room to talk about it. It was amazing how quickly people started to synergize and find support for each other to get the 15 minutes um, to happen. So I, I found that instead of doing it via email or asking individual teachers how to get 15 minutes each, to do this, um, it was way better to just get a whole group of people together and say, okay, we're making a commitment to get 15 minutes a day for kids who need some support. How are we going to do it? And then funny things started to happen, like the phys ed teacher said to one teacher, well, I'm available for that 15 minutes. I could cover your snack. And then someone else said to someone else, well, I'm across the hall and I'm available for that. It's not all solved or worked out yet, but it's starting to happen. And what I noticed was um, a really big shift that a, we can, you know, that problem behaviors are predictable. B, we can do something about them. And C, we're committed to doing it and we're going to find a way as a whole group, not just saying, you know, it's someone else's responsibility like special ed or or um, or call the office when there's a behavior problem, that we all have a role in dealing with student behavior and uh, helping kids who struggle to, to, uh, um, to succeed. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Nina, what's going on at uh, your school? Well, we were able to, after our last um, show, we had Kim came and trained our whole staff for three hours, and we had the entire staff stay after school for three hours, and that was just amazing for them to hear it from somebody other than myself or our team. It really allowed people to dive a bit deeper and also to be really thinking about behavior. Uh, and it's looking at it through a different lens. And since then, I've had many teachers um, email me and ask me about sitting down and filling out the LSUP and having Plan B conversations. And we're at a really exciting time. Um, our, our principal has arranged for us to have a, a substitute teacher come every Tuesday um, through grant money, and that, that teacher's primary purpose is to allow for collaborative problem solving to happen at school. So we, through the SAT team, we've been setting up teachers with time, with mentors, to be a guide as they sit down and do Plan B conversations. And, you know, we really realized that we 
we're kind of going about it the wrong way, thinking that we would do all the Plan B conversations um, until we, now that we've shifted that and we're trying to coach other people um, to be doing the Plan B after, after we felt like everybody heard the message from Kim, we felt like we were really able to do that. So it's, it's going really well. Outstanding. And I was um, really quite moved by, I was at uh, Nina's school last week and um, was really moved by some of the discussions I had with uh, your principal and some of your teachers who, you know, um, teachers, classroom teachers, anybody in a school, there's a tendency to become um, sort of, um, well, what's the right word? Technical. When we're describing what we're doing with kids. Um, And yet the human touch didn't seem lost on any of them, Um, especially when I asked the question, what does it feel like? Because what they did was they spent some time describing to me students who they had helped through using collaborative problem solving. Yes. And um, some of your folks have really become quite skilled at the model. Yeah. Um, mostly just thanks to practice and perseverance. Nothing really incredible going on there, except that you guys are really having an incredible, making an incredible difference in the lives of kids. Right. But uh, uh, when I asked, how does it feel to know how? much you've accomplished or how you've helped these kids. Uh, One of your teachers became rather emotional and was able to speak out the words, that's why I became a teacher. Yeah. And one of the people in your building um, basically had to end the interview. Right. Um, So it's, you know, people sometimes get... Um, technical about collaborative problem solving. They think about the three plans and they think about the three steps of plan B and they think about the five components of drilling and they think about kids who don't talk and they think about have I got enough information in the empathy step to move on here. Um, And sometimes we lose track of the fact that um, what we're doing here is we're communicating and establishing a relationship with a kid. We are approaching the kid in a completely different way. We are understanding a kid and understanding what's going on in the student's head and what his concerns are in ways that we've never done before. And that's human, not technical. Uh, The technicalities... The technicalities are because there are things that sometimes people do incorrectly with Plan B, and so the technicalities are intended to ward those off. But lately I've been talking a lot about not losing track of what it is that you're really doing here. You are establishing a connection with a kid and solving problems that are getting in the kid's way and have been for a very long time. Yes. It was really cool to see that people in your building haven't lost touch with their humanity. They'll they'll still go technical on you if you're talking about plan B, but if you're talking about kids and what they've accomplished, um, 
that's that's at the human level, which is very cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's very powerful, and just to see the big difference in, the, in many of our children since we've been doing this for a while, you can you can see how they've grown and how this year is so different for them, and and the things that we have changed just by working collaboratively with children. It's, it's amazing. Now, I mean, one thing's probably crystal clear. I mean, I, I know some of the kids in your building and how far they've come. It's also just as clear that um, there is no there there. Right. That's my way of saying this is an ongoing process. Right. And some of the kids in your building who've had collaborative problem solving still need collaborative problem solving. And, and some people say to that, see, he's not cured. It it, it hasn't worked yet. Um, yeah. What would you say to that? I think that is a big issue. Um, you know, again, we just we are working at advertising that a little more with our staff and making sure that we're not saying sitting down for one conversation is going to cure every challenging behavior um, at all. So we're trying to make sure that we spread that message a little more clear, and as well as those kids that still have tough days or still do um, fall apart when certain things happen, that it's this overarching philosophy and way that we're solving the problems all the time and that and that they're going to need this way of collaborating collaborating with adults for you know for as long as they're in school I just think it's a whole different way of working with them and, and now we have a lens and now we also can predict what's going to be tough for them but for kids that are really multi-layered and that have all the things checked off on that else up it's not not going to be a couple of conversations. So just, I think just talking about that more and having open conversations and open dialogue with our staff and just like Tom said, maybe you know not so much through emails but through just whole group discussions where we can all be open and honest and and really get get our thoughts out and kind of organize together as staff. Well, yeah, and I think that's important and I think it's also important to to remember that they didn't get that way in one year usually. They're yeah. not going to they're not going to grow and change that fast sometimes. Although I have seen some pretty amazing things happen with kids, but but I think the real the real key is that I was telling this talking to this parent about this this morning that that um, kids learn to anticipate when when someone does collaborative problem solving with the child regularly, the child learns to anticipate the empathy step that they're going to be heard first. And yeah. then they actually are thinking about what they're going to say so they can actually get better at the process. And I, I've been putting a lot of thought lately into teaching the kids the steps. Right. Um, that we do empathy, that then the adult talks about their concern, and then we work together to figure it out. Um, and we actually, we actually, my guidance counselor um, has really taken to this because she's new in my building this year, and she created these really cool little um little index cards that had the the basic ingredients of the three steps on the front and the the do's that came from Ross's summer training. And then on the back, it had some don'ts. And and the goal was to kind of keep in check that keeping it simple while being aware that there's a whole palette of tools for when it gets stuck when you've kept it simple. So what I've been trying to do when I'm doing collaborative problem solving with kids or adults is to... um, is to focus on keeping it simple so that my energy stays focused on the kid and listening and then remembering that I've got a huge toolkit now 
for when it gets stuck. And that's what I look at the technicalities as, um, a way to get myself unstuck if I can't get it rolling with what's happening naturally. That's great. Those are great. That, and those that's what we had talked about, too. When Ross came into our school, it was funny kind of asking the kids about being problem solvers. And, you know, you realize that most of the time they don't really realize what they're doing. They just know that their teacher listens to them and is able to help them, but not really clear of this process that's occurring. So I like the idea of really being more explicit. You know, it also... Yeah, I thought, why not just teach it to them, right? Why not just talk about it openly because then they can engage in it consciously. A lot of them, even though they struggle with behaviors, sometimes they struggle because they're bright. Yeah. So why not increase their toolkit if we're increasing the toolkits of staff? Absolutely. Ross, I, I did have also, my... I, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I actually, what I'm going to say is not that important. Keep going. Oh, I was just going to tell you that, speaking of that, that um, my my daughter is is at my school, and she was, um, her teacher is an excellent at CPS, and the other day said to her teacher, like, you do the same thing that my mom does. You work with us instead of doing things to us. That must be the Dr. Green thing. (laughs) (laughs) It was very cute. So they're getting it. (laughs) That's funny, because my my son and I solved um, a huge nighttime bathroom problem, and he's kind of funny uh, my six-year-old is, is happier to just have it solved. He doesn't really care about the talking part. But my three-year-old, my three-year-old loves to talk. So it's really interesting that my three-year-old is actually more um, engaged in collaborative problem solving than my six-year-old. Kids are just so interesting. They are. <laughs> then they grow up and become boring adults. Boring adults. <laughs> um. You know, some of this has to do with changing people's perceptions of what working means. For for many people, working means the problem is completely gone. And while that does occur in mental health, I'm reminded of the uh, words of Simon and Garfunkel in their revised version of um, The Boxer that they sang on the Central Park CD, after changes upon changes, we are more or less the same. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids who I know, for example, in Nina's school, uh, it's working because the things that used to cause them to get upset aren't causing them to get upset anymore. And the longer you do that, the more they have skills that they need to handle the ones that you didn't directly do collaborative problem solving on. But these are kids who are always, not always, but who are for quite some time still going to need some help with some problems that they encounter that they don't yet have the skills to handle well. And um, some people would say to that, well, see, you see, see so the problem's not completely gone? Right. Um, and, and my response to that is, uh, under no circumstances, in the case of some of the ones I know in your building, yeah. and many of the thousands I've worked with, is the is the problem going to be completely gone? You're right. solving a lot of problems. You're teaching a lot of skills. You're reducing challenging episodes. But that doesn't mean that this kid is completely out of the woods. He still needs us, and he still needs our help. Right. 
and still able to make school a place that that works for them because school is often challenging because of all of their lagging skills and it just it requires so much of them and you know you it, it's just not going to go away but it's quickly but by listening to them and solving things together they're going to in turn become problem problem solvers and hopefully you know as they grow not need not need the plan B so much but able to do the problem solving on their own have either of you run into people who just want the problem to want this to be done and we want this kid to no longer be challenging in any way or do you find that especially in schools it's not so hard for people to understand that this is going to take a while no matter what we do and there are things we could do that are going to make it worse and things that we could do to make it better but even if we're making it better it's going to take a while Um, yeah. it, go, ahead. go ahead, Nina. I mean, I think that at, just like you said, that at my school, the teachers really understand and staff understands that it's going to take a while, and we kind of and when we, you know, because we can all get to that point of thinking, oh, when is this? When is it going to happen? When is it going to get better? And when we're able to sit down as staff and talk to each other and kind of remind each other that, you know, in the old way too. It, this wouldn't have been fixed. This wouldn't have uh, been over overnight. You might have not had them at school for a few days, you know, but that wouldn't have, have solved anything. Um, so I think it's just a matter, again, of communication and reflecting, and we've been doing that a lot at our school because we have some, some kids that are in real crisis right now and not necessarily kids that have shown up before, and it's a matter of really working together because it, it can be stressful, I think, for everybody and until you can start um, getting ahead, um, you know, getting ahead of the challenging behavior, I think it can be a stressful experience. So communication is really so important. Now, interesting, you're, you seem to be saying that somehow or another in your school, people have time to actually think and reflect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I know where your school is located, and you are, um, you are not in a wealthy community. You're no. actually in a rather transient community, yep. and and get kids in who are actually quite needy. So yep. I, you know, I'm I'm thinking that there are people who are listening to the program who are thinking, well, she, where do they have time to think and reflect? How, where where'd you find time to think and reflect? If uh, how'd you do that? Well. You know, we keep our Tuesday afternoon time time really sacred that we had with Tim, and now that we're, you know, kind of weaning off that a little bit, we still keep that time, and we have our SAT time on Thursday mornings. But it's also just I, I take it where I can. I mean, I'm thinking of a particular teacher that we're working so hard together with a tough student, and, you know, I'll talk to her any 10 minutes that we get. It's just when we don't have those minutes is when it starts going downhill really fast. So we keep talking. We'll email back and forth and then talk again and you know I just think that we've noticed that the second that we stop doing that is exactly when it doesn't it doesn't go well so I take it wherever I can any minutes any minute we make count by just reflecting on how it's going and how we can help students Tom where'd you find the time to think and reflect <laughs> um when I'm sick <laughs> no, I'm sorry um I think that that the key to 
again, it, it, it kind of falls under the basic philosophy that kids do well if they can, and if we react, if we if we choose our response to the stimulus and move proactively and planfully and mindfully, and if we get enough information, most behavior will make sense. We we have by taking the time to slow down and think about it, take a look at the data, talk with people, talk with the student. You're far more likely to get um, to save a lot of time later. So the way I look at it is, yeah, if I take the time right now to do this right, it may take more time right now than being reactive, but it really pays off huge dividends. And from a principal's perspective, that is huge for organizational efficiency. So I see collaborative problem solving as um, important for students, but it's also important to not to help teachers to not burn out and to improve yeah. organizational efficiency so that we spend more time doing what matters and less time doing what we're reacting to. Because if we can predict behaviors and, and figure out what's going on, we're going to have more more on-task time in the classroom. So there are a lot of benefits to this model. Certainly at the core of it is helping children to feel better at school. But obviously when they feel better at school, they do better in school, and so do the students around them that they were also disrupting at one point with their behavior at, in a lot of instances. And, and that reminds me, I, I'm really excited to tell you that I had a, a really unique experience where I used collaborative problem solving to talk to, um, to solve a playground issue that involved a large number of students two weeks ago. <laughs> and what happened is I, I did the empathy step with um, parents, students, and teachers. And then I shared my concerns with each one of those groups. And then I actually figured out a solution to the problem and shared that with all the different groups. This took almost an entire week of my working life, and I'm not, I'm not, it was unbelievably hard. Wow. But I, when it was all over, um, in four days, I was, I was getting four or five referrals from first grade recess for behavior. Yeah. I implemented the possible solution that I'd worked out by doing multiple Plan B conversations in groups and individually. And in the next day, there were zero referrals for behavior, and there's not been a single referral in eight days. Wow. So so it just goes to show the power of having um, that model, the skills with the model in place, but also having um, the administrative support to find 15 minutes a day to train the staff. I feel like I'm doing a huge proactive plan B for my whole school by getting everyone involved in a model that's responsive in nature, very similar to the Teachers College Readers Workshop. It's very responsive with literacy instruction, yeah. collaborative solving problem is a responsive model for behavior. So my whole school is using a responsive model to support students on all levels, not just, um, you know, it'd be kind of odd if we had a responsive model for behavior and like a, a reading program that was a basal, you know, just completely do this, then that, then this, then that. I, if a rubric doesn't work for behavior, it probably doesn't work for curriculum either because human beings are dynamic. But I was really surprised at the outcome of this massive intervention that I did about two weeks ago. That's amazing. Yeah, that's wonderful. I know. I've been so excited to talk to you, Ross, and share some of the things that have been happening. It's really good. How many kids did it involve? I mean, a lot of, people, a lot of times I get asked, can you do this with a whole group? And the answer, of course, is 
number one, some people prefer doing it. Some people are actually more comfortable in groups, I've learned, than they are in um, doing this individually. Um, but um, um, how many kids had, were involved? Uh, about 90. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and I did it. I, did it um, I interviewed, I interviewed um, smaller groups of five or six to try to get the, the whole group's concern on the table because I know that if, the, if my accuracy and the empathy step is high enough, then the likelihood of the solution being effective is proportionally increased. That sounds like that was complicated to me. So in other words, <laughs> if I get what the kids are bothering, what's bother, if I get the problem right, obviously the chances of the solution to solve the problem are highly are, are far better. The complicating factor is in the person telling you their problem articulated clearly, and do, does the adult involved really know what they're worried about for real? Because I used to think that the kids were the ones who struggled with getting the problem on the table. I'm finding out that a lot of times the adults have a hard time getting the real problem on the table. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I intervened with everybody involved, and then I met with all the kids in small groups of 20 or 40, and I asked them, I said, okay, so we're having some trouble on the playground. What's up with that? And then I let them raise their hands, and I did a lot of listening. And then I said, well, this is kind of what I, this is my concern, and this is what I'm thinking of as a solution. And in each group, all the kids raised their hands and said, yes, that would make a huge difference. Wow. And and sure enough, I haven't had a single first-grade referral for discipline in almost two weeks. Can't uh, believe it. So it's really exciting. We, we have somebody calling that. in here, and I'm wondering if this is Carol joining us. Carol, is hmm. that you? Yes, it is. I have a touch of laryngitis, but I am here. <laughs> oh, man. Almost. That means 50% of our educators' panel is sick. You, <laughs> well, it's a you're in year. good company with, with Tom. Nina and I are healthy. We're good. <laughs> you guys must, must lead much more interesting lives than we do. But, uh, Carol, I apologize for the poor communication on today's program, but um, uh, Nina and Tom have, have had a chance to tell us what's going on in their buildings for the last 35 minutes. Do you want to give us an update, laryngitis and all? Um, well, things things are rolling along. What I'm what I'm finding interesting in our situation this year is um, I don't know if I mentioned this at our last um, educators panel, but um, in BC province wide here, our teachers are on strike right now, um, which means that uh, there's there's very little communication happening between administrators and teachers. They're still working in the building and teaching, but all types of you know different types of meetings about regular staff meetings and, you know, behavior support meetings are are not happening or they're taking place, you know, without administrators and teachers in the same place at the same time. So it's I've been finding that um kind of a struggle this year with uh with trying to keep the communication and the and the efforts to implement CPS um making it a little bit tiny bit more challenging this year. But uh, we are still yeah, so I'm I'm still finding I'm doing a lot of work um with kids myself and I do have some other staff that are like I said that have taken the initiative themselves to to read the book and and to start doing the work but it's not as yeah i it's it's not quite the same forceful you know let's get a bunch of people going in the same direction as we had probably last year you know and there's no place that i I can't think of any place that's under more pressure these days than schools i mean i know in nina and tom's state maine Mm -hmm. uh you all are under 
um, not, you're not having strikes that I know of, but you are under some budgetary pressures statewide in many parts of the state that are really rather um, dramatic. Um, in fact, in one school that collaborative problem solving was implemented and a few years ago when Maine just started cutting budgets, um, they were forced to cut millions from their budgets and yet somehow still managed with collaborative problem solving. Um, are you guys feeling that kind of I mean, Not being able to really communicate with your teachers sounds like a uh, um, that, that's not going to make it easy, and yet you're still doing it. Yeah. We have a, um email from one of our listeners saying, once you start CPS, there's no turning back. It's nearly impossible to go back to the old way, plan A of treating children. <laughs> and maybe that's why, even with budget cuts and strikes, the work goes on. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree that you can't go back because you just you get that moral sense that, that this is the right way to be treating people. It's respectful, it's collaborative, and it, it helps children learn the skills they need to move forward. And and anytime you, you slip back in, in the beginning, sometimes you do slip back into, you know, I'm just going to hand out a, a consequence. In your heart, you feel like you're, you're kind of gritting your teeth. You're kind of going, oh, I know this is wrong. So, yeah, once I would totally agree with that email. Yeah, it changes how you think. It just And you can't go back to... Yeah, unwind that sort of process that you you just think differently. You think differently about children and and power struggles and and consequences and and it helps with. I mean, we lost a whole special ed position this year, and CPS helps us. It saves time even without a whole other person. So, well, and I think that once once you learn the model, it's free. And that's, that's right. from an administrative perspective, financially, I think the key is to get the school's culture using it so regularly that when a new staff member comes on, the staff starts training the new person. Mm -hmm. So when you join one of my five-people teams, the first thing we do is hand you a I, – I did this this year. I had three new teachers, and I immediately handed them a copy of the book and said, this is how we work with kids. Please read this book, and we'll talk about it, and we'll help you to get caught up to speed. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that having that kind of culture that will continue the process regardless of who's the principal, who's the guidance counselor, who's teaching on what team, that the culture, it doesn't cost anything to listen to a kid. It's free. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I was on the phone this morning with uh, a superintendent of one of the juvenile detention facilities in Maine, he will be one of the speakers at the first annual Lives in the Balance Conference on Collaborative Problem Solving in Augusta, Maine, next Monday. And what will he be speaking on? How collaborative problem solving saves money. Now, I've, I've got to still show this in research, but he's talking about how this particular facility hardly ever does solitary confinement anymore. Wow. And that because solitary confinement required staffing, saves money because of staffing, how um, they've dramatically reduced the use of restraint and seclusion. That saves money because of the amount of people required to restrain and seclude a kid. Um, how people are getting hurt less often, how that saves money because of 
uh, workman's comp reductions okay. in costs. Huh. Um, and so not only is it free, um, and by the way, the, the speakers that the, the registration at the conference is now basically closed because, um, well, we filled up. <laughs> um, but we are going to be making sure that the vast majority of what goes on at the conference, Carol, this will make you feel better, is going to be streamed in video Yay. on the live <laughs> oh, So um, don't worry if you're not going to be able to make the conference, and I know Nina and Tom will be there, but if you can't make the conference, we'll be speaking, but if you can't make it, um, don't worry. The Lives in the Balance website, and this is what Lives in the Balance is for, is to make sure that people can access all of this stuff without it costing them any money. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had that. To a kid is free, but not only is it free, um, my goal over the next five years or so is to demonstrate just how cost-effective collaborative problem-solving is. (laughs) I would agree with that on on multiple levels because as the principal, I'm seeing kids less for discipline and I'm seeing them for less time when I do see them because we're all working on a more similar page in my building and I think that as it grows, it will get even stronger, and that's saving time and money. I mean, time is literally money, Ross, so I would agree with your statement completely from a, from an administrative perspective. Carol, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to just ask a question because um, as you were talking about people accessing uh, the information on the, the, the model on your website, um, it brought to mind a staff member that I have who's a special education assistant, and she has seen me using the process with um, with different students. And she was asking me where she could find out more because she has a son with autism, and she was hoping to be able to use it more with him. But she, she said sometimes she would forget what to say, and I showed her my cheat sheet and my binder and everything. Um, but what that brought me to was, um, and just maybe I'm, I'm wondering if uh, <clears throat> the other panelists can help me out a little bit, is um, using the model more with children with different special needs because um, at my school this year we've had – Uh, I'd say at least four new students join the school. And I have a small school. We're under 300 students. Um, But at least four new students join the school with different special needs, some with intellectual disabilities, some with um, language delays, and all of them with social-emotional difficulties as well. And wanting to use the model with them, but but having a hard time getting that initial success because um, the communication doesn't seem to be flowing like I have a, a little guy in grade two um, with a with a severe expressive language delay and so when I'm I'm wanting to work on things with him and and you know asking him the what's up he says you know I forget or I don't know so and I know that you know the silence and the probing questions but just wondering if if either Nina or Tom has other ideas or you Ross about how else can you get to some of that information with kids who've got different disabilities well and here's the um Here's my main response to that. We have two minutes left in today's program, (laughs) and that is at least, and plus the musical ending, which is, of course, (laughs) crucial to the program, is 32 seconds long. So I'm always sort of, you know, uh, making sure that I hit the button that gets the music to come up right at the perfect time. I I never get it exactly right. But, um, Carol, here's, here's what I think. I think that that is great topic for an entire educators panel program okay. and why don't we plan on that for the next time so that'll uh, give me another month to, to try some things <laughs> well, yeah. 
<laughs> so, sorry about that, but you wouldn't have gotten much in a minute anyhow. No, um, not a problem. But um, why don't we do that on the next Educators Panel program, which will be the first Monday in December, and we can all give thought. I mean, there's standard things that I say about how to work with kids like that, but um, <laughs> let's give thought to all of the kids that we have helped who might fit into the realm of difficulty often with the communication skills required for doing Plan B, and we will make that our topic on the next Educators Panel program. Sound like a plan? Sounds great. Yep. Great. Yes. Good. And on that note, um, we're going to call it a day. I want to thank all of you for joining in. Again, I find these programs to be fascinating, and I am told that our listeners do as well. Talk to you next month. And now, thank with you. 32 seconds left in the program, <laughs> here comes the music. Take care, all. All right.